Hello, and welcome to the HP Lovecraft Book Club. Um, got a short one for you here. Um, we're looking at, well, right now we're looking at Lovecraft's revisions from the later half of the 1920s. Um, in fact, it, it's kind of striking. He wrote, like, most of the bulk of his revisions. Most of his uh, revision work came after 1930, when he had, when most, when which is actually the a relatively small amount of the work he published under his name came after 1930. Only seven stories. There's a few fragments, like The Evil Clergyman. Things like that came out. But it's just seven stories, but a whole bunch of revisions, right? This is the way he made his living, was through these revisions. So we got five of them. But actually, this one, and this one of the five I'm going to look at, is not really the typical kind of revisions we get here in collaborations. And I talked last time how we need to sort of break things down a little bit when we examine Lovecraft's well, collaborations or revisions, is that there's works that are collaborations where an author came up with an idea, but they weren't maybe weren't a very good writer or they had troubles putting it down, and then Lovecraft would kind of fine-tune it and add his touch to it, and, and where they're really like 50-50. We call those pure collaborations. There's works like... Like uh, the mound, where just an idea was given to Lovecraft, and he had a, and he basically wrote the whole thing. And then there are stories where he's just like essentially a copy editor, or a little bit making a few revisions. That's like uh, two black bottles, the story we just looked at, and, and a few others. So, um, so most of them fit somewhere in that spectrum, right? Um, and. The one we're going to look at today, though, is is revised the other way around. It's something that was originally sketched up by Lovecraft that later got added by other writers. So it's called The Thing in the Moonlight. Now, this was a dream that he wrote down in rough sketch, and it shows up in a letter to uh, Donald Wandry, right? And... So it's very much like the very old folks, but the very old folks was a complete story. It had much more a beginning, a middle, and an end. You know, it ends kind of abruptly, like dreams sometimes do, but it, it was a coherent narrative. The thing in the moonlight is a little bit less. It's much more impressionistic. It's much more of a setting and kind of a scary moment. Um, it's really one image. It really boils down to. Um, and so later on, Wandry and J. Chapman Miske reworked it into something that could be published and it was finally published in i believe in 1941 um in in a magazine called bizarre so that's my understanding of it but originally the lovecraft proportion of this was written in 1927 right the story itself is just one page essentially it's 700 words it, you can print it out on essentially one page it's not very long at all um so the first part of this... So anyways, this is uh, a special revision, a special collaboration in which, you know, it was revised by other people. That's what I wanted to say. Um, but right around the time of the very old folks is when this was conceived of. A very different story, though. The very old folk is very much a story of ancient traditions and civilization versus barbarism, those kind of Lovecraftian themes. This is much more a, a kind of a, a cosmic horror tale. And it's, it's made more so of a cosmic horror tale by the additions of the other writers. So we start up with this little frame, 
uh, frame job. So this the stream has to be framed somehow, and it's framed in kind of a lame way, to be honest. We're just um, this is what was written. This is the beginning of the story. Morgan was not a literary man. In fact, he cannot speak English with any degree of coherence. That is what makes me wonder about the words he wrote, though others have laughed. He was alone the evening it happened. Suddenly, an unconquerable urge to write came over him, and taking pen in hand, he wrote the following. There's that. And then at the bottom of the story, you have one, a couple sentences, two sentences. That is what Morgan wrote. I would go to 66 College Street in Providence, but I fear what I would, might find there. So that's it. That was added by this guy, J. Chapman Miske, to give the story a bit of frame. Um, now, this, then we get to the dream itself. Basically, we got this illiterate man who's recording this dream of H.P. Lovecraft. Um, because um, the story, the narrator here is Howard. Once we get into Morgan's story, we get this um, Howard Phillips right which is of course it's howard's filled phillips lovecraft is is his full name so it's essentially a shout out there to the original author of the tale to lovecraft now 66 college street in providence is where he lives and so this is and then he says i dream so we got two frames actually here we got the morgan frame and then we got like the the hp lovecraft frame so we got two frames before we get to the dream right um, and the dream itself is very, very, uh, and we have a narrator on top of that. So it's nested actually a couple times. Um, so the, the dream, we have this guy in a marsh, the, the, the dreamer is in a marsh and, um, he's just kind of driven by something. It's not clear what his goal is. It's a less, a much less articulated dream than the, the Roman dream than the very old folks. So he's just sort of wandering through this marsh looking for something and he's he's on some kind of mission and of course you've had dreams where that happens right you're somewhere going somewhere but you don't quite know why um and finally he he, he he's following the moonlight right or there's it's 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 night so there's it's lit by moonlight um and finally he sees rusty tracks so this is how it's written casting my eyes about i beheld no living object but was sensible of a very peculiar stirring fire below me Amongst the whispering rushes of the pestilential swamp, I lately quitted. After walking some distance, I encountered the rusty tracks of a street railway and the worm-eaten poles which still held the limp and sagging trolley wires. In an image sense, it's really interesting how you got this kind of primordial kind of marsh and the darkness and the moonlight, something you can kind of imagine the scene. And we've seen this kind of thing. Um, I'm kind of reminded of that, uh, the crawling chaos in a way, that revision where you have someone or the green meadow, the, both of those stories, you have someone sort of wandering in this bizarre dreamlike landscape without really a clear agenda, but, but comes across something kind of horrific. Um, you know, it seems like a Larry Lovecraftian thing, but it comes up more in the revisions apparently than, than in the stories that he signed his name to. Um, and by the way, this is all the part of the dream, this whole middle part of it is in the original letter that was written to Donald Wandry. So anyways, he comes across these tracks and he actually has a specific number of 1852, uh, which is the number of the car. Um, but it's, it's, that's not a date, even though it sounds like a date, it's the number of the car. And, but the, it's, it's around the early 20th century. He dates this to the type of rail cars that were around in the early 20th century. Um, and it seems to be workable. So he gets into the car and wants to 
start it. He wants to start it um, and tries to turn on the light switch and things like that and is not able to really get it going. And that's when he sees two forms appear. Quote, Presently, I heard a swishing in the sparse grass towards the left, and I saw the dark form of two men looming up in the moonlight. They had a regulation caps of a railway company, and I could have no doubt that they were conductor and motorman. Then one of them sniffed with singular sharpness and raised his face to howl to the moon. The other dropped to all force to run towards the car, end quote. So we kind of have this moment, we, we, we get the sense of almost like a werewolf story, right? And Lovecraft wrote a werewolf story before, a poem called Psycho, a, a narrative poem called Psychopomp. Or not Psychopomp, uh... It's close to that. It's anyways. I covered it in this this podcast. Um, I don't think like it's, I don't think it's just called Psychopomp. It's close to that though. That's the root of the of the title. Um, so we kind of got a, like a werewolf story here, like the one howling at the moon and the other dropping all the fours, and the narrator, the dreamer here, flees, runs away, and and then when he gets away, he sort of escapes and stops running when he's just exhausted, and we're told. Well, it's actually, it's not clear he gets away entirely, but he's exhausted and he stops. And then he tells us, the reason I was running was not because of the guy running on all fours towards me. The reason I was running is, quote, because the face of the motorman was a mere white cone tapering to one blood red tentacle, end quote. So it's, it's not just, it's not really a werewolf. It's some other type of monster. And this is where Lovecraft's dream ends, uh, according to the original letter. So then we get uh, an addition here before the final frame. So, you know, it's like framed. It's like nested. And the story's sort of nested here. And so we get some a little bit of cosmic horror here, which is really a nice addition. And this is added by uh, Miss K or Wandre. I guess it's added by Miss K. Um, but anyways, we, we rely on kind of Wandre's retelling of Lovecraft's letter, I guess, to to know exactly what was Lovecraft's or not. But uh, the source I found on the H.P. Lovecraft Wikipedia, um, which has the complete text of it, um, ends Lovecraft's dream part right here, or at least Wandre's reporting of Lovecraft's dream at Blood Red Tentacle. So we get this addition of cosmic horror, which seems very Lovecraftian, but it could have easily been added by someone who knows Lovecraft's style and work. And that is that his dream somehow never ends. He's kind of stuck in a dream. And he, whether it's day or night, he's dreaming, but he always returns to that same place. Quote, the first night gave way to dawn, and I wandered aimlessly over lonely swamplands. When night came, I still wandered, hoping for awakening. But suddenly I parted the weeds and saw before me the ancient railway car. And a one-sided cone-faced thing lifted his head in the streaming moonlight, howled strangely. And this is the same every day. So it's, he's, he's repeating every day of his life in this dream, um, the same experience. So he's sort of trapped in this. Um, and so then we get to the final frame, which is or just return to this illiterate guy who can barely speak English named Morgan. And then we got the narrator saying, I'm curious about going to the to this address because this address is part of the dream or part of what Morton Morton Morgan wrote, but he's afraid to go there because of what he might see. Um, the dreamer, the monster, the red cone, or the red tentacle, white cone monster. Who knows? But anyways, that's uh, the story we we get. So it's. It's not bad. It's kind of nice. And I, I just think it's interesting the way the story, the history of the story and how it got sort of put together by different writers. 
um, although at the heart of it, it's it's an expression of Lovecraft's imagination, even if his unconscious imagination. But we have no reason not to have faith in Lovecraft's unconscious imagination because it's shown itself to be powerful and meaningful before. So anyways, that's it. That's the thing in the moonlight. Um, in the next episode, I'll be getting a little series where I'll be looking at two revisions of Adolfo de Castro's writings. Adolfo de Castro lived from 1859 to 1959, a very long life. He's not a very well-known writer, and um, but he did work on these two pieces that got revised significantly by Lovecraft. But these are collaborations. These are things where stories, the plot, a lot of what happens is provided by... Um, Alfone de Castro and then Lovecraft added a lot but a lot of the prose itself is his and, and certainly the first of these the last test was significantly bulked up by, by Lovecraft's additions so we'll talk about that story in the next time the last test it's, it's relatively long it's a, it's a two hour audio book and I'm going to have to um, listen to it maybe this weekend I'll get to it but um Hopefully I'll have time soon to listen to it. I'm looking forward to these two stories because they're going to take us to places that Lovecraft's own writings don't often take us to. And then I'll follow up with The Electric Executioner and then The Curse of Yeag. So three more episodes as we continue to work through this phase of Lovecraft's revisions. Um, so, yeah, I'll see you next time. Um, with my thoughts on the last test. If you have anything to add about the thing in the moonlight, uh, any nice details, let me know what they are. I will um, gladly share them with the community when I when I get the chance, or at the very least, I'll reply to your to your email with my thoughts. So I will see you next time um, as we begin looking at the revisions of Lovecraft, uh, or the revisions of of Love. The revisions of Lovecraft on uh, De Castro's uh, writings. Thanks again for listening. See you then.